Due to adult content, parental discretion is advised. To begin. Are you watching closely? To begin. I just, I'm bored. Gonna start. What plaything can you offer me today? Here's the deal. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, 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 no doubt, no doubt. Okay, welcome to Cock and Bowl Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. A podcast in which, eventually, ostensibly, at some point, we will be talking about the 2005 film Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story, one minute at a time. Good lord, what is this story all about? Cock and a bull story. Here's your host, me, Robert Black. We're here for Group 13. Um, this is About Time versus The Fisher King. That is Richard Curtis versus Terry Gilliam and Richard Legravenace because Gilliam didn't write it. So since we got British films or British filmmakers, I uh, got a Brit to come talk with me about it. This is Luke Allen. Luke, you can introduce yourself if you like. Hello, I'm Luke Allen. I'm a filmmaker and podcaster. I host Please Be Seated and co-host with Robert Two Minutes About Time. Yeah. So About Time is one of the films which I definitely have a heck of a lot of knowledge about. So yeah, it should be noted, Luke and I are doing a show about one of these two films, so there might be some bias there. I don't know. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what side of this I stand on, so... <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Uh, maybe we can just start there, because I know... I think I know which side I stand on, and I don't think it's the same one. Because you side with About Time, right? Yeah. I love About Time. But I think I side with The Fisher King, because it's more... I think it's more unique to me. Yeah, well, I, th- I think it is, yeah. And I think they're... Once again, as you were saying, you've had with other ones, they're very different films to compare. Yeah. But they are both... Well, there are similarities. ...odd ideas with, like, emotional resonance, so... Yeah. It works. And and to be fair, even if I pick one over the other, um, I started with 380 movies for this bracket, and it was, that's... I did the math, it's 5.8% of the movies I've seen. Wow. Now we're in the top 36, which is 0.5% of the movies I've seen. So, making the top 0.5% is pretty good either way. Mm. I've, I've just noticed recently that I am way too nice on, like, most films I watch. Like, <laughs> especially now, I think I might have said this on two minutes about time. Basically, just because, like, now's kind of just a stressful period with lockdown and with my school being cancelled and all that. Like, I'm a lot more emotional when it comes to watching films. Yeah. And it tends to be that if a film makes me tear up, then I give it five stars. And if you look through my letterbox ever since lockdown, I think I think the common connection is that I've watched them all since lockdown. <laughs> and, uh, well, it, and that might just mean you like a certain kind of movie that is in, inherently going to make you emotional. I'm, I tend to, on IMDb where it's out of 10, if a movie like got to me emotionally and I teared up or cried or whatever, it's at least getting an 8. Yeah. Even if the movie's not that good. It's, it's just like a personal rating. Tell you what I watched um, a couple of days ago, which I didn't even know about until recently. Have you seen Fathers and Daughters? I don't think so, no. Russell Crowe and Amanda Seyfried. It's like just a really good... Okay, I know what movie that is, but no, I didn't see it. It was reviewed by critics really badly, but like me and my family, we just loved it, and it was a massive surprise to huh. suddenly hear that. But that's not one of the films we're here to talk about today. Oh, that's fine. The inherent nature of this show is that this is right now the 23rd episode, and we have talked about the movie this show is about, Tristram Shandy, for probably maybe a minute of that time. Okay. Because, you know, in order to talk about that movie, or any movie, you got to know where people are coming from. 
And you got to understand, like, I'm doing my top movie bracket because you want people to know, here's what I think of movie generally. Now you can get my opinions about the specific one. So is About Time your favorite movie? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I've toed and froed on it a lot, but About Time always seems to be the one that I come back to. Yeah. All the ones below that seem to be shifting around quite a lot. Uh-huh. Like, I really like Blue Lagoon. Huh. And it's, it's not really a film that people talk about that much. I mean, I know it had its controversy when it came out. Yeah, people talked about it when back then. But, in the 70s. I mean, when you look at the stuff that technically, in terms of like body doubles and everything, that we should now know, there's not really any issue with the actual content of the film. And so just looking at it as like a sweet film with an incredible soundtrack, I just find it a nice film. Watched it a few times and I think it's got like possibly only second to about time in great soundtrack, really. It's been a while since I watched Blue Lagoon. I don't even remember what the soundtrack is like. I'd probably recognize it if I listened to it, but it's been a while. Yes. The movie's fine. Yeah, it's... I don't know. And most of its controversy, I think, came up after the fact, because in the 70s, no one cared. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. I just sort of wanted to clear up the... You know, the, the controversy before I said that it's a good film. Because uh, it just is. I think now people aren't really bothered because people know that it was all body doubles. And, For some of it. Although an odd shoot. But I, th- I just think it's a sweet film at the end of the day. Yeah, um, it's fine. I think I think a TV edit would probably be better. You know, where they get past all the iffy bits. But just as a story and with the soundtrack. <laughs> it's a nice film. Other than that, you talked about Across the Universe. Yeah. It should be known that basically outside of Across the Universe and those films, that most of the other films on my top list seem to be Richard Curtis. Yeah. And, yeah, because... You definitely like romances. Yeah. I, I don't know why, <laughs> what or why, but yeah. Especially British romance. I mean, I know Blue Lagoon's American, but, like, I think there's something about British rom-coms that are sweet. I gotta figure out... I gotta go through my uh, bracket and see, genre-wise, what did I favor. I definitely favor, like, emotional films mm. or, like, films about relationships, but not always romantic relationships. Yeah, I think it is mostly the emotion side of things. Because that's what that was it with Blue Lagoon. Like, it's got a kind of sad and yet unsatisfying ending, which I quite like. Yeah. Um, and I've just started reading a book, and it's pretty good. Hmm. I'm just looking on the uh, on my likes on Letterbox to see if anything else stands out. Oh, nah, that's just odd. Some of them, really, to be honest. Emo the musicals on my likes. Generally, the movie I say is my favorite, if I have to pick one, is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which, mm. aside from being another weird like science fiction twist on things, is essentially a romance. Yeah, that was on my list for a long time. But I don't like romantic comedies generally, which is mm. weird. But when they're good, I I love them, I guess. Actually, I'm kind of surprised. I, one of the other films that's on my list as five stars with a like is uh, Rat Race. With, uh, I saw that yeah, once Rowan on a plane. Seth Green. <laughs> yeah, I know what movie you mean. I've seen it on TV a few times, and then I bought the DVD at one point. And I, it was only huh. not that long ago I watched it, but apparently when I watched it, it was really good. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a problem I have with, with my IMDb ratings, is how I rate them now versus how I rated them when I started that list. Mm. Like I started rating things on IMDb like whenever IMDb started, and so I don't know how I rated, like how did I decide what a 10 was or what an 8 was? Now I have a specific idea in mind when I pick. I've been adding stuff to a list since just the start of this year. And then yeah. rating, I literally started on the 1st of March when I turned 16. I thought that's the time to start. Oh, okay. So it's just... Because I, 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 I would never be able to go back and try and figure out what... I know some people have, and I assume you have. Go back. No, I don't go back and rate things. Okay, you don't. 
Because <laughs> I know some people who have who have just gone. I only rate them now if I watch them. I'll rate gone them. back and to like every film they've watched, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd be able to manage that. On Letterboxd, I could do that. I think because it's out of five, it's a little easier. It's like either you really liked it, it was like you liked it, or yeah. it was mediocre. It's simpler. A ten scale is a little too much for me. Yeah, I think ten's better. Or even like. You know, with Rotten Tomatoes, which I never use, but with my whole percentage idea and things. I, I want a little more freedom than just out of five, but Letterboxd is just easier for me than IMDb. Yeah. And I watch a wider variety of quality, too. I think you aim for movies you already like. Yeah. Like last night, I watched The Fisher King, which on IMDb I've given a 10, on Letterboxd I gave it a 5. And then I watched, oh, what was a movie called? The Aberdeen County Conjurer, which is a really low-budget horror film. That I gave a one on Letterboxd and a two on IMDb. Um, what do you count like if you have like a film on in the background or something? Like, do you count that as watched or not? I I actually don't do that very much. Okay. I mean, I often do like check things on my phone during a movie if I've seen it before. Hmm. But I usually, if I've turned on a movie, I'm watching it. Yeah. Background, I'd usually do like TV hmm. show or a podcast or something. That's me for the most part. There's occasionally like, my family will put on a film and I'll think I'm going to watch it and then I'll. Be on my phone for so much that I don't really remember much of it. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to look and see what like the lowest rated thing I've actually put on Letterboxd. I've only been doing it for a little bit, but as you said, yeah, I kind of. <laughs> if, I mean, it sounds logical to be honest, but obviously you you enjoy bad movies and I'm getting into them. Yeah, for me to say that I actively search out films that I like, um, but it's a uh, yeah okay. So I think the lowest for me was the new Aladdin, oh. which I gave two and a half. Out of five? Yeah. Where, where, where did that rate with you? I liked it. I mean, I, on Letterboxd, I think I definitely clicked the little liked heart thing, but I think I rated it like a three. Okay. Because... I only have, I only click the likes like when I give it five stars. It adds a couple interesting things. It adds depth to Jasmine, which I liked, but then it kind of... I don't think the genie was worse, and other aspects were like they didn't need a remake of this. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of the original Aladdin either. Okay, I mean, I know in the new Aladdin that I, I know someone who's involved in production, and right. the stunts were really good. He did the stunts, you know, he did a good job. Yeah. And overall, I understand why people would like the film. Yeah, but just a for me not being a fan of the story, and b for me thinking Disney could invest this money in like new content. Yeah. Which, incidentally, High School Musical, the musical, the series, is surprisingly good. <laughs> have, have you seen any of it? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was, when High School Musical came out, I, I did watch the first one, mm. but I was already a little too old for bothering. And so I never got really into those. And It, it was my little sister who... When I heard about the it. series, I'm like, that's weird, but... Uh, yeah, do you know the plot of the series, or not really? It's a TV show following a high school... Per- of high school the musical or something like that yeah it's like it's from the high school where it was filmed okay and it's like the students there are doing a production of it to try and hold up to the film that happened and it's surprisingly like it's reasonably self-aware i mean i had it on in the background for the most part while i was getting some homework done but i thought i'd put it on for a laugh because i was in a production of high school musical at my school a couple of years ago yeah and i ended up just being genuinely invested <laughs> and then found out that i believe the second series is out on Disney Plus in the States, maybe, and not here. Because huh. I'm, because it's put like a release date on there, on like IMDb, it says it was like January or something. But we've only got season one, and I found myself genuinely miffed thinking I had like six more episodes, and I didn't. So, uh, if anyone's listening who's involved in the production of High School Musical, the musical, the series, then good work. But even that's not really original content. I just think it should be more original Disney films. Well, with reality things like that, it's all 
semi-original content, yeah. and it can be entertaining. And that's good background noise, mm. stuff like that. Anyway, we've gone for like 15 minutes without mentioning either of the two films. It happens. One of which being the film that I normally manage to make the centre of every conversation I have, so that's quite impressive. Well, right, and literally right after we record this, we're going to be recording some episodes of mm. Two Minutes of Our Time. So. so there's a good chance that we'll spend the next two to three hours discussing. Yeah, so what we should be talking about right now is The Fisher King, mm. which you just saw for the first time, right? Yeah, like a week ago. Whenever. I don't know, time doesn't make sense at the moment, <laughs> uh, but I saw it. Time is weird, right? I now. saw it, and I gave it five stars on Letterboxd. Nice. I, at the start, I was unsure as to where it was going. Yes. Little bits of it, I'm like, I understand it, but for me to, like, I think my mum was, like, in and out and trying to ask what was going on, and I try and discuss it, and it's like, actually, when I explain this plot to someone, it makes very little sense. Yeah. Hence, I was literally confused reading the back of the DVD case of the plot, and I was like, I don't know what this is about at all. I'm going to watch this film and know diddly squat about it. And I preferred it that way. Well, yeah, the first few minutes of this movie, you would, if you watched it not knowing what the movie is, you got no idea where the plot's going. Mm. You'd have no idea where, the, like, what's going on. I liked it, and I liked the, con- the, I liked the idea of him trying to sort of pay back for what he'd done with the radio thing. Well, we, we should explain in case someone's listening to these episodes and hasn't seen the movies. Yeah, how, how spoilery are we getting in discussions? Oh, we'll do spoilers, but we should also tell them the plot. Oh, yeah. Just so, you know, intrigue them. About Time, which we aren't gonna, we aren't talking about much right now, is about a guy who learns when he's 21 that he can go back in time, and he proceeds to use it, from what we see in the movie, mostly to find love and so he can go back into it in his own lifetime and alter events and not really just romantic love either. yeah true it's like family love and because there's a, a big part of it is his relationship with his father a mm. uh, big twist in the movie dealing with his sort of relationship with his child and it's sort of just an uplifting film about appreciating the little things in life yeah oh very there's a great message at the end about, like, living each day as if you already went back in time and this is your second chance. Like, you got to pay attention to all the details and enjoy it. And weirdly, the cast and crew were talking about the end message in, like, the promotional interviews for the film, which I found a bit odd. Yeah. Like, they'd be like, oh, yeah, it's got a great ending. And it's like, yeah. okay. And then the Fisher King. Yeah, you can try and explain this one. <laughs> is a harder plot to explain. Um, let's do it in steps. We have a DJ who's kind of a cynical bastard. That's played by Jeff Bridges. He inadvertently pisses off a listener. That listener goes to a bar and kills a bunch of people. The way every good movie starts. DJ's life falls apart. Meanwhile, Robin Williams' character was in that bar with his wife. His wife was murdered and he kind of lost his mind. He's now homeless in the present. And kind of crazy. He thinks the Holy Grail is in a mansion in New York. And Jeff Bridges, realizing... After Robin Williams' character saves him from being mugged, realizes who this guy is and wants to pay like pay him back, wants to help him. And so he tries to give him cash. That doesn't go very well. He tries to help him find like get together with a woman he's in love with, he says, who watches every day, and then eventually helps him by getting the grill. And it's all very romantic and very bizarrely fantastical. Both films involve stalkery love. Yeah. <laughs> But in a way where it's almost made to look sweet, unless you think about it. Yeah. So that, like, we think it's sweet, and the characters think it's sweet when they know. But then you kind of think about what people could take away from it, and it's sort of like, ooh. Yeah, Tim sitting at the uh, Kate Moss exhibit for days on end, 
to find the uh, girl he accidentally erased his first meet with. It's a little stalkery. And then in this, Perry follows what's named Lydia, played by Amanda Plummer. He follows her on her lunch break from work every day. Or even with about time, really, Tim has a conversation with Mary that's then erased. So he then expresses her opinions yeah. back in the conversation so that she likes him. Oh, yeah. And thinks that they're a perfect match. Yeah, he yeah. quotes what she says about Kate Moss. So, I mean, it's good to know that they were a good match when we first saw them. Like, I'm glad we had that first meeting so that it's not just Tim straight off, you know, stalking her and making her fall in love with him because of a lie. I mean, we don't know that he doesn't think that about Kate Moss, I guess, but... True, true. Or he might eventually, because, you know, once you're together with someone, their interest can rub off on you, so maybe he would think more of Kate Moss if he didn't already. Yeah, it's interesting. And clearly, in the case of Fisher King, Perry does love romance and is into that, and one of the things he likes about Lydia is on her lunch Mm -hmm. break, she buys romance novels. But yeah, in both movies, they are what I used to call on my blog, Groundhog Day Project. Um, Phil Connering people, basically. They're using knowledge that they shouldn't have to get together with people. And I think as well, they both are comical in places and have a sort of fantastical element yeah. to what would otherwise be a normal-ish story. Yes. Uh, I mean, about time to be more normal. It'd mm-hmm. still be an interesting film without the fantastical element, really, of Fisher King, in just him trying to make amends for accidentally leading to murder people. And actually... It reminds me that Fisher King surprised me as to how quickly it went straight into the plot. Like, you know, you, you you have him talking to the guy who becomes the murderer, like, right as soon as it starts. Yeah. And that that was quite a surprise, really, because I was thinking we were just over the credits here, you know, just seeing him, how he is and what his job is, that to suddenly realise, hang on, I still, I've got to be paying full attention right now, straight away. Yeah. They, they, it's If you're not paying attention to who he talks to on the radio in the opening scene, yeah. you don't realise, oh, we just heard the guy they're talking about. That he doesn't treat very nicely. And, yeah, I think it's been... I find it odd that... I think on IMDb, it's listed as a fantasy film. Yeah. And I don't really think that works as a genre for it. Like, I get why, but I don't think... I wouldn't count that as one of the main genres, really. It it might be, a, as far as people who are looking for a movie by genre, they might be the ones more likely to appreciate it, maybe? Yeah. I mean, in all fairness, I'm not a fantasy guy, so seeing that sort of turned me off to the idea of the film. So I was like, oh, it's fantasy. <laughs> I'm not sure. And now I watch it, and I'm like, actually, no, this works, because it's real life with the fantasy being inside his mind. So it, it still feels as though it could almost be a true story. Yeah. A very weird true story, but it feels... It, it doesn't feel like an impossible yeah. concept like time travel is in About Time, which, once again, is made to feel normal. Right, and even then... With its ending, you could take about time to be a metaphor as well. So it's like maybe he only imagined going back and changing these things because that's how he thinks about every day now. Hmm. I hadn't even thought about that. So you could you could take that as sort of real as well. Yeah. Yeah, so IMDb lists Fisher King as comedy, drama, fantasy. So romance isn't listed at all <laughs> on there, although that becomes... I mean, it's odd. Romance is... That's a big part of it. Yeah, a big part of it. And debatably bigger than fantasy. Well, it almost should be called, like, romantic fantasy, because it sort of is, the fantasy elements are medieval-specific and, like, chivalrous. Yeah. I don't know if IMDb even lists that as a genre at all. Other than the Python stuff, really, I don't think I know many um, Terry Gilliam films. Like, I know I need to watch Brazil and oh, Brazil's good. 12 Monkeys and all that. But I don't think I've seen him. And as I understand it, this is the only one of his movies that doesn't include... Another Monte Python person. Uh, quite possibly. And Gilliam is American, isn't he? 
Like he was in Britain for a while, but he's American. But he's American? Oh, yeah. I think so. He's from Minnesota. I don't think I knew that. I just think of him as being British. He's like, he's the American of the, the Pythons. But I think that's one of the things as well, which I guess is slightly worth talking about because it links to About Time. Or at least as a British person who watches a lot of American films, yeah. if they hadn't referenced partway through the film the fact that Rachel McAdams is American, I bet I wouldn't have even twigged it. Like, I would just, like, she's got an American accent, but you Well, yeah, when they mention it, it's like, oh, is she? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's sort of like, oh, yeah. And even, like, I think I can be like that when you've got British actors in American films, just so used to hearing both yeah. accents and both voices that when they're together, it doesn't really seem too out of place. I, I, I definitely feel like About Time is a very, very British film. Yeah. So maybe that's partially why I like it. Like, Oh, yeah, the like family relationships are very British, mm. especially. Yeah. And it carries on with what we've discussed on Two Minutes About Time, although that episode will probably be out after this, about the whole Richard Curtis thing with the one American. Yeah. Which... Happens a lot. <laughs> like I, when I was watching Love Actually the other day, like there are multiple one Americans in each story. There's at least well, there's at least two Americans for two separate stories that intermingle, which I think I, I always forget about. And some of the stories in Love Actually, like I really wish it had been made into like full films. Yeah, if they were separated from each other, I think I would like some of them more. Yeah, some of them wouldn't be strong enough to carry as a full film. Love Actually, on a whole, I kind of, like, I appreciated it when I watched it, but I'm like, okay, I get it. But it's a little too much, you know, quote-unquote, romantic comedy for me. Yeah, I, I get that. It's a little more romancy than Richard Curtis's normal yeah. romantic comedies, really. I think it had to be because it was all of those storylines piled on each other. They could, didn't have time for a lot else. Hmm. But I mean the what the one with Liam Neeson and the little boy, yeah, uh, like that. I, I would love to have seen that as a feature film. Like I think that was an incredible idea. Well, yeah, I think that was the best part. The idea of a father sort of getting trying to uh, get over his wife's passing whilst helping his son find love with a woman with a girl who happens to have the same name as his wife. Yeah, which is another Richard Curtis thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just it's it's such a, a powerful film in my opinion. Uh, Love Actually and About Time even more. I mean, as I said, there are, there are bits in Love Actually which aren't great um, or don't have enough flesh to them. So like Chris Marshall's character going off to America, you'll notice with this that I don't remember the characters' names, I remember the actors' names. Chris Marshall going off to America and meeting all the girls, it's like, oh, I don't know. It's like he tried to, it's like rom-com, 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 sex comedy, rom-com, rom-com. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. I'd be intrigued to see how Richard Curtis would write and direct a sex comedy, but I don't think it's this sort of thing, really. Yeah. I mean, you can't have sex comedies that are between both. You know, um, what's, what's the one I'm thinking of? It's not a particularly good film, but Good Luck Chuck works as both, really, and some of the Jodapato stuff. But yeah, anyway, that, that was a massive tangent we're talking about. I've, I've spent more time talking about the wrong film. That's fine. <laughs> it explains your opinions about these. I like this freedom. This is good. <laughs> I think these there is a similarity to these movies, though. As you pointed it out, Terry Gilliam's American. I think I think of him as British, and I think most people probably think of him as a British filmmaker. He's British by mind, right? Really, you know, he spent a lot of time in Britain, as far as I'm aware. And so these both have that British element, although less so Fisher King. Although then it goes to Holy Grail stuff, which is a sort of inherently British-related story. And, of course, Gilliam's second Holy Grail film. Yeah, but it's American actors. Mm. You know, Jeff Bridges, Mercedes Rule, Robin Williams, and Amanda Plummer. 
And what's that? All those listeners want to hear us talking even more about Monty Python? Well, good thing they can. Oh, yeah. Um, please be seated. The five Monty Python specials. There we go. This made it a very good a very good pairing for you to invite me on for, actually. <laughs> yeah, it leaves openings. Now, okay, so we know which one you come down on. Yeah, it's very clear. <laughs> I'm going to go with, um, you know, the Academy and BAFTAs and other award organizations and go for Fisher King because, you know, it won some. Okay. <laughs> mm. I, I definitely understand that. And I think I'd need to give it more time. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think it would ever beat about time for me, but I would possibly, like, put it on, like, the list of top films, but I'd like to give it six months. I wonder if, if you'd like it more watching it again just because you know what it is. Yeah, maybe. Because, like, going in, you were trying too hard to figure it out. I, say, I, I really enjoyed it, obviously, as I said, but... Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those weeks, as soon as I finish watching it, I look forward to watching it again. Nice. Yeah, and I think maybe Mark Kermode or someone who's said... those who don't know, Mark is like a British film reviewer. He, he he tends to give films six months before deciding where they stand on like a favorite films list. Oh. So they need like six months to rest, and then he makes a decision. So. Well, yeah, if they're still sticking with you, then they definitely made some sort of impact. And... Which I think worked because as soon as I came out of seeing the film yesterday, which is a really good film, I was like, I think I'd even thought of it as like equal with About Time. Huh. I was like, wow, I really enjoyed that. And now I've given it the time to rest. I still love it, and I watch it quite. I've watched it a few times. Nice. It's probably still one of my favourite films. It's had enough time to rest and find its place on the actual top ten rather than just instantly being the new cool film. <laughs> well, what, what were your views on yesterday, anyway? Oh, I, I liked it. I was especially... I think I one thing I especially liked is that the plot wasn't about fixing it. No. It was just like, here's the new world we're living in for this movie go from there. Well, it's the, it's the about time thing again. It's the it's the idea of we don't need to bore you with explaining the rules of the universe. Yeah. We're going to tell a story with this and you're going to enjoy the story. Right. It just happened. And, and that's fine. I, don't, I, I think films can get really stuck in the logistics of things and just... It's like the Groundhog Day thing for me again, coming back to that. It's, we didn't need an explanation. It just kind of happened and go from there. Kind of ironic how often you come back to Groundhog Day. <laughs> Well, it's not ironic for me. Yeah, well, because you watched it every day. Watched but... the movie over four hundred times, so yeah, and written many thousands of words about it. Groundhog Day is another one which I'm looking forward to rewatching because I only saw that for the first yeah. time a few months ago, which is good because I've got like there's even some films which I've watched first time round and not fully appreciated, but almost instantly known that when I watch them again, I will. Huh. Godfather being one of them. I only watched it recently for Please Be Seated, and I know that a lot of people have told me that. You need to be like the right age, the right time to watch it, and also that sometimes it takes two or three viewings to to actually appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so I understood why people liked it, but as soon as I finished watching it, I was like, I'm gonna look forward to watching it again in a few months' time or in a year's time. Nice. And Fast Time at Richmond High in the same way. Like I watched it, I sort of got it, and I thought I'm gonna give this another go in a bit of time, and I think I'm gonna really enjoy it. Yeah, I first saw that one when I was a kid, and I don't think I understood half of it. Mm. So when I watched it years later, it was much better. I think I understood it enough, but I also think I I watched it pretty much at the my maybe on the day that my school was shut down with lockdown and <laughs> being my I wasn't fully focused with my last day of secondary school yeah. just appearing out of nowhere. So I'd I'd, I'd probably give that another go. It's weird, as I said, the days at this point are just all blending together, and um, but I'm pretty sure it was definitely right near the start of lockdown. 
or maybe just before, around that time. No one's no yep. one's actually asking. So, one tell the listeners how to find you. Ah, okay. So the listeners can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero. They can find me on Facebook at Luke Allen Film. On Instagram at the Ginger Luke. All of my content's available at lukeallen.co.uk. My podcast, Please Be Seated, and Two Minutes About Time, will be on your podcast platforms. Please Be Seated on Twitter at Please Be Tweeted. Uh, two Minutes About Time on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Two Minutes About Time. I think that's about it. Yep. And there will be links to that one on Lemmy Drops as well. Maybe. Thank you for listening. This has been Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cock Bull Minute, or find us in the Facebook listeners group, Cock and Bull Pub. Find more content at lemmingdrops.com.